I, I hope you all... Hi, John. I hope you all had enough time to tell that whole story. Um, and if you, if you don't have one of those stories yet, um, neither do I. Don't feel bad. It's all good. So you can talk to me if you're like, I don't, I don't want to remember. I don't, I'm just rambling. Sorry. Okay. Anyway, let me start over. Hi, I'm Ben. Um, all right. This is going well. Um, I've been asked to come in and be a guest speaker today, and so I'm really excited to get to come and share with you guys. Um, apparently, Josh is like, I had a baby, so I can't preach, or whatever. So, <laughs> But again, I don't know what that's like. So, Anyway, uh, to, today um, I want to talk about story. And I think that's great that Josh started off like, tell the story of your first kid. And I'm sure that those of you who have kids, like, no, that is a great story. There's lots of stuff to it. But we're going to talk about stories today, um, uh, both, both our own um, and the story that God is telling um, in this world and through Scripture and how those two intersect. So if I'm going to share about stories, I feel like it's very appropriate to tell some of my own. Uh, we're going to talk about that. So like I said, my name is Ben. I work with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at Oregon State University, and I've uh, been there for about seven years. Um, but I did not start there. In fact, my story begins on a lovely spring day in 1982 at John Muir Hospital in Walnut Creek, California. That's where I was born. Uh, and if you do the math, that means I'll be turning 30 very, very soon, which is crazy. It's the oldest I've ever been. <laughs> um, and uh, so for the first probably six or seven years of my life, I had no exposure to church, to God, to the Bible, to Jesus, to any of that. My family was not a church-going family. Uh, but I was friends with this guy, and his mom went to a church. And as happens sometimes, um, our moms got to be friends. And I don't know if my mom was looking to get involved in church or if, you know, my friend's mom just went for it and gave an invitation. But she invited my mom to church, and we started going. So I started going to church because someone invited my mom. So I'm really thankful for, for um, her name is Kim, for Kim's invitation. Uh, and the, the thing is, though, by the time I got to junior high, I was kind of done. I was like, all right, I've done the Sunday school thing. I don't want any more. I'm, I'm finished. But my mom was like, Ben, why don't you just give their junior high group a try? Just, just give it a shot. Go a couple times. And I was like, okay, I'll go. I'll try something. Um, so I went, and the first question I was asked when I got there was, well, you know, we always ask this to new people, do you fold or crumple your toilet paper? Um, you know, just to make people feel really comfortable. So I said crumple, but I have since graduated and know that folding is, in fact, better. So, uh, and I, I liked the group. It was a fun group. I mean... We didn't just talk about toilet paper. We talked about God and stuff. And it was interesting. And I decided, you know, I'll stick around. And I went to their fall retreat um, that fall. And it was there that the youth pastor, a guy named Eric, said, hey, does anyone want to become a Christian? This was on Sunday morning of the, of the weekend retreat. And I thought, you know, I was about ready to be done, but I kind of enjoying this group. And I've been going to this church for a long time. Might as well, right? It really felt kind of like that. So I was like, sure, I'll do it. I'll become a Christian not having any idea what I was doing. But I did it because Eric invited me. Eric gave me an invitation to become a Christian, and I, I said, sure, let's do this. 
So I stayed involved in the junior high group, and I got involved in the, the high school group when I got there. And at that time, I was learning some music stuff and kind of dabbling in learning how to lead worship. And another youth pastor by the name of John, he came up to me and said, Hey, Ben, how would you like to go to Japan as part of a worship team for a month this summer? And I, I, I remember my knees kind of like starting to shake a little bit. I was like, really? Um, I had to grab them, make them stop shaking. Uh, so I went. I went to Japan. And I was part of a team of worship leaders. And most of them were at least five to ten years older than I was. So I learned so much from them. I just kind of soaked in all of the stuff that they knew and all the stuff that they did. And I came back and I was like, hey, I want to lead worship all the time at our, at our high school group. And the, the staff there let me, which was great. And we did, and it was really fun. And so I learned how to be a worship leader. And then I went to college, and I started leading worship in my college group. I got involved in InterVarsity, and I was part of that, and I led worship for them. And now that I work for InterVarsity, I help train students how to lead worship. And I lead worship at our big conferences. And sometimes, you guys may have seen me, I help out on this worship team occasionally. I think Paul would want me to do it more. But I'm kind of busy sometimes. Um, anyway, I can do that. I can lead worship because John gave me an invitation to go to Japan. So after college, I started working with InterVarsity. And I did a year of staff down at the University of Oregon. And then my, my supervisor, another guy named John, said, Hey, Ben, there's a spot for you up at Oregon State. Would you like to go you know, give your life to the college students in Corvallis? And I said, All right, let's, let's go. Let's do this. And so now, for the last seven years, I've been at Oregon State in Corvallis. And I've been inviting students to check out Jesus and start Bible studies. And, and I've invited them to move back into the dorms to reach out to new freshmen. To let, I've, been, I've been challenging college students to give their lives to the campus and to see what God could do. And I do that here because John invited me. I hope you're seeing a common theme in my story. The last one. This is the last one, I promise. Uh, when I got here, I worked at the Timber Hill Starbucks for about a year. Uh, it was kind of a part-time job as I got some funding stuff in order. And I was looking for a church. I didn't really have any church that I was a part of. But I worked with a guy named Stephen Wagner. I think his parents are in the, here right now. I worked with a guy named Stephen. And he's like, oh, you're looking for a church? Why don't you come to mine? It's right down the road. So I said, sure, why not? And here I am in Northwest Hills seven years later or six years later, however long that was. I'm here because Stephen invited me. And so I'm really thankful that Stephen took that opportunity and invited me to church. It's been a great experience being here. So that's, my, that's some of my story. And when I remember my story, I think to myself, gosh, invitations are really powerful. Invitations can change people's lives. And I've, I'm starting to realize that more and more. And here's the thing is, I, I get that and I see that not because I sat in a lecture one time and someone told me how invitations were important. I learned it because I remember my story. I remember what happened to me. And so I can sit here and encourage you, right? Like those of you who have young children, who have friends, like don't ever like diminish the amount of influence you can have. I'm here because I was friends with someone and their mom invited my mom. That's, I'm so thankful for that. Right? Those of you who, who have teenagers or who work with teenagers, don't discount the, the value of the, inf- the invitations that you give them. It can change their life because it changed mine. Those of you who work in coffee shops or who work you know, anywhere for that matter, 
Do you understand what kind of influence you can have on your coworkers? Like, I'm here because a coworker invited me. There are people all around you just longing for someone to give, you, give them an invitation. Just waiting for someone to do it. I know, because I was one of them. That's my story. That's what happens when I remember my story. It, it changes the way that I want to live. I want to be a generous inviter now because I remember my story. I remember how important that was for me. And I think that Scripture is kind of the same way. I think a lot of us might read Scripture in a way where it's like, oh, it's just this list of to-dos or it's this abstract stuff about God or whatever. But it's actually, I think it's a story. And I think when we take the time to remember that story, it can really, really change us. I mean, have you ever thought about how the Bible starts? Right? It starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that is very different from the Bible starting in a way, let's say, with some like just propositional truth, right? It could have started with, okay, here's the Bible, God is love. It could have started that way. Or it could have started, look, really important, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's how the Bible could have started. Or it could have started with a command of some kind, right? Love one another. Like, you know, could have said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We could have done, like, done away with the whole Old Testament and just summed it up with there, right there, right? But it doesn't do that. It also doesn't say, thou shalt not steal, right? It doesn't start with a command. It starts with God creating things, and God speaking, and God breathing, and God saying, let there be light, and light happens. And then galaxies and stars are flung all over the place. And then God looks at the earth, and he's like, there's a lot of water, and we've got to separate it. So he does that, and he raises up land. And he says, let's make some plants grow on the land. That looks cool. And then, like, let's put some fish in the water birds in the air and, and beasts and animals on the ground. And let's make men and women in our image, in the image of God. It's a story of creation, and it's a good one. I mean, you look farther and you realize the first 17 books of the Bible are narrative. They're a story. That's really interesting, right? Before you get, you know, the raw emotion of the Psalms, and before you get the wisdom of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job, and before you get the scathing and beautiful poetry of the prophets, you get creation, and you get Abraham. What comes next? Um, I know there's something in there. Uh, you get creation, Abraham, and you get the Exodus, and you get the 40 years of wandering in the desert, and you get the conquest of the promised land, and you get the kings, and you get the temple, and you get all their failures, and you get the exile, and you get the return, right? You get the story first. Even in the New Testament, before you get the beautiful letters of Romans and, and Corinthians and Galatians, you get the story of Jesus, of his life, and his death and his resurrection, and it's, which apparently is such a good story that we need it four times, right? And then you get the story of the beginning of his church. The story comes first. And it's, I love that. And then even at the end, right, it's, Revelation tells, tells the story of God's redemption and restoration of all things, of the new heavens and the new earth, of God finally establishing his kingdom fully on earth. It's a story. I think stories, both our own and the story of God and the story of the Bible, are way more important than we give them credit for. We want to know, do we have all the facts right? Do we have all our propositions down? I think a better question is, do we know our stories? 
Jesus told a lot of stories, didn't he? There's a reason for that. Stories are really, really important. And I think that Scripture actually commands us multiple times, remember your story and tell your story. And I'd like to kind of focus on one right now. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you have Bibles or smartphones, open them to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I say that jokingly, but every time I come here, I use my phone as my Bible. So it can't be all that bad. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20. Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. So to give you some context, the people of God, the nation of Israel, they are on the cusp of entering the promised land. They're almost there. And hundreds of years ago, God gave a promise to their common ancestor, Abraham, and said, Abraham, I'm going to take you out of the land that you're in, and I'm going to give you a new land, and I'm going to bless your descendants, and they are going to bless all the nations. So that is kind of the the promise and the story that God said he would tell through Abraham's life. And as that works out, Abraham's family does increase. They, have, they, they grow in number. And they find themselves in like hundreds of years of backbreaking, oppressive, dehumanizing slavery in Egypt. But God rescues them. He pulls them out of Egypt. And for 40 years, they wander in the desert, getting to know this God who rescued them, and hoping that he will soon bring them into this land. And now, in Deuteronomy, they're right there. I mean, it's so close they can taste it. And so Moses gets up, knowing that this is like a big moment. He gets up, and he kind of gives them a farewell speech. Like, or like maybe, maybe a farewell speech, but also like a big kind of final push before they go in. And he spends the first couple chapters actually retelling them their story. And then he gets in and kind of recaps some laws. But in chapter 6, he says this. Verse 20. It says, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations and the decrees and the laws our Lord God, the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, well, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and gave us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he's commanded us, that will be our righteousness. So Moses says, okay, as I'm telling you this, just know, in the future, you're going to want your kids to obey the law. That's how we stay in the land, is obeying God's law. So they're going to have to learn the law, and they're going to ask you lots of questions about it. Probably questions that go with, that are start with, why? Because um, that's what kids do, I hear. Um, so they are, they're going to ask, why do we do this? What's the purpose of this law? And my gut response, if someone asked me, well, why do we do this? To, would be to like kind of explain, well, it's because of this and this and this, and there's this abstract thing and this. You'll get it. Don't, just don't worry. It's complicated, right? So let's say your kid asks you, hey, mom and dad, why do we celebrate the Sabbath? Why do, we don't do, why do we not do any work that day? You could say to them, well, see, here's the thing with the Sabbath. It's just this day to do no work. Don't do anything, right? So don't walk to your friend's house. 
Um, don't do any laundry. Don't do any cooking. Uh, please don't pick up any sticks. Um, don't do any farming. Don't do any yard work. Don't walk to your friend's house. That's too far, right? Like, and if, and, if, and if one of your friends or one of your animals falls in a hole, please don't pick them out of the hole. Like, that would be work. And then we would have to kill you. So that's why we celebrate the Sabbath. So please don't do anything, right? Your point would kind of get across, I guess. That kid is going to have no idea why you really celebrate the Sabbath. So instead, Moses says, no, tell them the story. They ask you what the law means, tell them a story. Tell them, well, you see, we celebrate the Sabbath because a long time ago, our people were slaves. And every day, we made bricks. Every day, we worked in mud pits. Bricks, bricks, and bricks. So Pharaoh could build his city. Your great-grandparents spent their entire lives making bricks. Slaves in Egypt. But God came in and pulled us out of there. He pulled us out of those mud pits and out of the slavery and brought us into our own land. And he wants us to know that we are not slaves anymore. So he gave us a day off. We don't do work this day because we are not slaves. We celebrate the Sabbath to rest and remember this God who brought us out of slavery and to remember that he has made us to be free. So, my child, we celebrate the Sabbath to remember that we're not slaves anymore and so that we don't become slaves again. And then what if they ask you, well, why, do you, why, do you, why are you so nice to the foreign people who are around? They're so different than us. Why, why are you nice to them? You can say to them, well, you see, a long time ago, we were foreigners in another land. We were strangers, and we were not treated kindly. We were enslaved. But God brought us out of there and gave us our own land. And so now, when there are foreigners in our own land, we want to be kind to them to remember the kindness that God showed to us. We want to be kind to them to let them know that God is kind to them as well. We follow this law so that we don't become Egypt. So these laws God gives us, they're not just arbitrary, right? They're just, we have to remember our story. We were slaves, we were oppressed, and God brought us out. And these laws help us do that. We follow the Sabbath so we don't become slaves again. We are kind to foreigners so that we don't become Egypt. Now your kids got an understanding of the law, right? Like, that is a compelling reason to take a day off. That is a compelling reason to love people who are different than you. Story. It's so important. Um, so Moses says, tell the story. Be free. Tell the story. Like, in the fourth and Deuteronomy, he's like, talk about this stuff when you lie down, when you go out, when you're going to work, when you sit at your table, tell these stories. God's people are a people with a story. Um, and he says, tell the good parts. Tell the parts of God's victory, right? Tell the parts where he brought you out of Egypt, where he showed Pharaoh who was boss. Tell those parts where he split the Red Sea. Tell the part where he destroyed Pharaoh's army. And then when he provided food and water in the desert. Tell the part of the story where God came in to a nation of slaves and gave them culture and government and art and purpose and identity. Tell that story. And I think the same is true for us. He invites us to tell our stories. When people ask you why you do what you do, 
why don't you try telling them a story? Now, when I say tell a story, I think a lot of people think, well, that has to be... The story that we're supposed to tell is how, like, I was totally on drugs and everything, and then God rescued me, and now I'm not anymore, and now I'm, like, in full-time ministry. Like, that's the story you're supposed to tell, right? And if I don't have that, I don't really have a story. That is not true. So here's what you're going to do. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have a story to tell. Yeah. You have a story to tell. And now turn to your neighbor and say, please tell me your story, but don't actually do it because that's going to take too long. Right? You have a story. You have stories of God working in your life, of God's victory. You have stories where you felt like you were hopeless, where you were stuck in something and God brought you out. You have those. You have stories about how you used to be angry all the time, but you're learning how to love people. You have those stories. And you do have stories. Like At some point, we all in here decided that following Jesus was worth it, and we decided to do it. We decided to make our lives about that. Tell those stories. Tell the story of how you decided to follow Jesus. Tell the story, even though maybe you decided to follow Jesus when you were like two and a half, right? And you're like, I've always been a Christian. I don't have a testimony. Yes, you do. You do. God has been at work in your life. Tell the stories of how God has been transforming you and how he is transforming you even now. And if you don't feel like he is transforming you, then start following Jesus. Because that's what he does. He transforms us. So tell those good parts. It's so good because when, when I remember my story and when I tell it, like I just told you about all this invitation stuff. My job involves inviting a lot of students into things. I make a lot of invitations. I invite them to study the Bible, to come follow Jesus. I invite them to come to our large group. I invite them to come to our conferences. I invite them to move back into the dorms to love other students and to give invitations to other ones. I make lots of invitations. I I invite them to, like, reconsider their romantic aspirations, right? Maybe you need to think about this relationship, and maybe it's not as good as you are, like, hoping it will be. Like, you know, I invite them to reconsider their plans. And sometimes, I'll be honest, I just don't want to do it. I just, just I don't think it's worth it. Like, they're not going to say, they're not going to do what I asked them to do. They're not going to say yes. They're not going to, it's not going to do anything. And sometimes I feel like, actually, I need to challenge them, and that feels uncomfortable to me. I don't want to get in there. And so I decide, I decide you know, it's, God doesn't want me to be uncomfortable, so I probably shouldn't just get in there and talk to them about this hard thing. So I'm just going to not going to do it. It's not worth it. And then I remember my story. I remember how people gave me invitations. Sometimes they were courageous invitations, and sometimes they probably weren't that courageous. But either way, like, they changed my life. I'm so thankful for people who have given me invitations. So when I remember my story, I remember that invitations are powerful, and they're always worth it. So it makes me want to go invite students to things. When we remember our stories, it can change the way we interact with other people. If you have had a place where God has come through in your life and you see someone who needs a little bit of extra, like, God loving in their life, right? Like, doesn't it make you think there's hope for them? Doesn't it make you think, you know, if it happened for me, maybe it can happen for them. You know, those of you who maybe, like, there's a time when you weren't walking with Jesus, but someone came alongside you and helped you and asked you questions and invited you to church or invited you to come study the Bible. I'm pretty sure you have people in your life who are like that. And if you think, gosh, someone walking alongside me was so helpful, doesn't it make you think, if I walk alongside this person, maybe the same thing can happen to them? That's why we need to remember our stories. We need to remember those moments of victory and goodness 
like where God came through, because it helps us think maybe God could do that for somebody else. And the story of the Bible is like God coming through, is God sticking with his people, and God doing good things. So we need to remember that story too. But I also think Moses invites, invites us to share the parts that aren't as good, the parts that aren't as exciting to tell. It's fun to tell about God parting the Red Sea, unless you're an Egyptian. Um, it's, it's fun to tell those. It's not as fun to tell the story of the golden calf. But Moses says, tell that story too. It's part of your story, right? Israel, you guys are the chosen people of God. He is choosing to bless you and work through you. But let's not kid ourselves. We've done some dumb stuff. And we need to tell those stories too. We need to tell the story of the golden calf. We need to tell the story of the times when we started complaining, when we said, you know what, it's probably better if we just went back to Egypt. It's better than being in the desert. We need to tell the story of when we started to worship false gods. We need to tell the story of when Moses' own brother and sister, two of the most important people in Israel, thought that Moses was not qualified to lead because he was married to a woman who was a different ethnicity. Like, tell the stories where our leaders were racists, right? Like, Moses says, yeah, tell those stories. Tell the part where we were almost in the promised land. And a couple people got scared. A couple people said, if we go in there, if we go into this land, the people are going to kill us. God's not going to be able to save us. And they spread fear and despair throughout the whole Israelite community. And they all chose fear over trust. And because of that, an entire generation of people was lost in the desert. That is not a proud moment. It's not where things were going well for them. But Moses says, tell those stories too. We need to remember them. Because here's the thing. Even in the midst of Israel's failures, and even in the midst of right where they were in slavery, even in the midst of other people's failures, right? It wasn't Israel's fault that they were enslaved. Something terrible just happened to them because someone else was sinning. Even in there, even in the part where they didn't know, like, is God going to come through? Where is he? I don't know what he's doing. So in those places and the places where they, like, willfully rebelled against God, God still stuck with them. God still worked through them. God still was, like, committed to them being blessed and them being a blessing. He brought them out of slavery and into a good land. They're going to need to remember that story because there will come a time where they will be foreigners in another land again. They will be forcibly and violently removed from their land and forced to live in another, under another oppressive king. And they're going to need to know our God rescues us. He has before. He can do it again. They're going to need to know that. Just like we're going to need to know, like, right, the places, the, the fun, the, the, not fun, the places that aren't fun to tell, the places that we'd rather forget are actually places that God has brought us out of and God has brought us through. I told you stories of how I said yes to these invitations and God changed my life through them. And, and that's all true, but it's not the whole story. If I want to really give you a picture of what God has done in my life, I also need to tell you the times where things didn't go so well. 
I need to tell you about the time when my parents got divorced. I need to tell you about when I was in grade school and I discovered pornography and had an addiction to it for most of my life. I need to tell you about that. I need to tell you about the time when I made really, really bad decisions in my romantic relationships in high school. I need to tell you about how in college I was really considering just throwing this whole Jesus thing away, just being done with it. I need to tell you about the times when I get angry at people, when I don't want to be kind and loving to my wife. I need to tell you about those things. Because those are places where God has been at work. Those are places where God has brought me out of it, right? Like, even though I have chosen poorly many, many times, even though I have chosen to act out of fear rather than courage and trust and faith, I'm still here. I still work in ministry. I still get invited to love college students. I still get invited to lead worship. I still, God still uses me and works in me and through me, even though I have sinned against him. And even though I have been sinned against, God has still worked. And sometimes God has even taken the things that were painful and the things that were like just awful that I did and has redeemed them and used them. And now I can tell those stories to others as a way to give hope. Like, I've been there, man. Like, I know what you're going through, and I know that God can come through. God can redeem you. So I need to remember those stories. I think you need to remember those stories, too, and to be okay telling them. It's okay to not be perfect, because that's who God, like, God, the only people God has to work with are imperfect people. It's the only people ever, he ever has worked through, except Jesus. Um, you can tell those parts. Because God has worked through them. I'm sure we can all think back to places in our life where like, we were making bad choices. Where we think, you know what? Actually, God like, met me there and brought me out. He rescued me from those things. It's good to remember those places. Because sometimes in our lives, we have places where we think, ah, I'm stuck. I don't think this is ever going to get better. When you're in that place, you need to remember the stories of how God brought you out before. Maybe he can do it again. And when you tell those stories, you give hope to others who are in the same position. And you, and you start to think about them differently. You tell the stories of how you were stuck. You had an addiction and God healed you. People who, who are there can hear that and think, maybe he could do it for me. But if we never tell those stories, we never know that. All we get is like from up here or something, someone saying, God can heal you. That's it. But isn't it better to hear stories of how God has done it? Doesn't that give you hope? And it keys us in, especially in the hard places. It keys us into the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is God bringing hope into hopeless places. Is God rescuing people from slavery and turning them into a kingdom of priests? It's God taking broken people and transforming their lives and turning them into people who bless others. That's what the story of the Bible is. And so when we start to find those, dark, those like broken, hurting places, we think this is the place where God wants to work. Why? Because I know the story. This is where it happens. Right? The st- like, so I'm, I'm hoping we do both that we remember our own stories, places where God has come through, and that we remember the story of the Bible. Because that's going to give us hope in the places we need it. And the story of the Bible, like I said, is of God's rescue, God's salvation, 
and God's restoration of people and God's fierce commitment to use these people who are totally messed up to bless everybody. And that story comes to fullness and comes to its completeness in Jesus, God in the flesh, God who enters into our story and says, hey, this is how you're supposed to do it. Watch me. Do what I do. Learn from me. And he does, right? Jesus brings healing into into places where people need it. And he brings hope into hopeless situations. He gives life and dignity to people who never had it before. And, and, and he does even more than that, right? right? He comes into our stories and, and looks at all the places that, were, that are broken, that are sinful, that are rebellious, that are evil, all the wrongs that we have done and all the wrongs that we have done to others and all the wrongs that are done to us takes those, and he's like, I'll take them. Give them to me. And he lets them die with him on the cross. He removes their power from them. When we let our story get caught up in Jesus' story, we find that like our sins and our struggles can have less power over us because we let them die. But Jesus doesn't stay dead, right? Like we're celebrating Easter in two weeks. Jesus comes back. Yeah, he let them kill him, but he was stronger than it. He comes back and says, all right, resurrection, new life, new hope, transformation, new creation. Here we go. Give me your sins and I will give you life instead. Jesus is like, let's have that be your story. Let's have resurrection be your story. Let's have hope in hopeless places become your story. Let, I think Jesus says like, hey, you, you're writing your own story with your pen and paper? Give it to me. I'll throw some resurrection in there. I'll give you some new life. That is the story of God and the story of the Bible that we all can find ourselves in. So, for those of you who are in a place where you are feeling, you're feeling good. You're feeling like, yeah, that resurrection, new life stuff, feeling it. It's coursing through my veins and I like it. If that's you, please tell those stories. Tell how God is doing that. Don't keep it to yourself. We need to hear it. Your children need to hear it. Your friends and your parents and your coworkers, your roommates, we need to hear that. Tell those stories. And for those of you who are feeling like you're in a really hard place, a really maybe like dark place where you don't know what's going to happen, you don't know where God is, you're feeling a little hopeless, my invitation to you, tell that story. Because you don't know who else has been there. You don't know who might hear that story and go, me too. Which is one of the best things you can ever hear, I think. Someone to say, yeah, me too, been there. It does you no good to think that you're the only one or that you're alone. It does you no good to think that you're the only one who has struggled with pornography or with body image or with an addiction. It does you no good to think that you're the only person who's ever been abused, that you're the only person who's been a victim of racism or sexism, that you're the only person who gets angry at people and you don't know why. 
You're the only person who can't seem to get it right. You're the only person who feels depressed. You're not alone. And, and you find that out by telling your story. Right? Like, oh, I, I can just think of times where people have said something from up front where they've told a story and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been there. I'm so glad they said that. I feel like I'm not by myself and I feel like there's hope for me. I mean, one of the things when I said in college that I was tempted to throw like Jesus all away, one of the things that helped was someone saying, you know, as I work with students, I've seen tons of students who get to this place, and I've been there too, where they feel like throwing Jesus all away and they're like ready to be done. And I was like, you mean I'm not the only one who's ever thought that? And I was like, how did he get through it? Like I wanted to know because suddenly I had hope. And we need to hear about how God has worked in those places. So if you had a really hard place in your life, but God has been doing work, please tell those stories. Tell them. We all need to hear them. The world needs to hear those stories. And people right next to you in this church need to hear them. Tell them at dinner tonight, as you're walking to work, whatever, walking to work, if you live really close to work, if you walk. I just said that. Um, and also... I think there are some people here who maybe you feel like your story has gone on long enough without Jesus. And so maybe this morning is the time to give Jesus the pen and the paper and say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you with the next chapter. What's the next chapter going to be? I, I've been writing it, and I'm not really happy with how it's turning out. The plot seems all muddled, and I don't like the characters. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, give it to me. I can work with that because I rose from the dead. I can handle your story. Give Jesus the pen and paper. Let him write your story. Let him come in and give you hope where you need it and and transformation where you need it. My hope, I would just love for us all to see the ways that our stories are intertwined with God's story and how he is actually, and and then how he is actually writing a story with all of us. A story of redemption, of restoration, of blessing, of working through messy people to do amazing things in the world. That's what God's about. That's what your story can be about. And that's what I think some of you, your story has been. And if it has, tell it. And if it hasn't, tell it. Because that's the first step, I think. Like, it can be. God's story can, can intersect with yours and collide with it and turn it into something amazing. So I'd like to... Just invite the worship team back up so we can um, close with some worship. Um, but just to, our stories are important. Our stories are valuable. So please take time to get to know your story and to get to know God's story as well. It's totally worth it and it's totally good. So let me pray for us. Jesus, we're thankful that our faith is based off of a story, a true one, something that happened. You came, and you lived, and you died, and you rose again. We pray, God, that that is, in some sense, our story, that you could come into our lives and live in us, that our sin would die, and that instead, in place of it, we would get your life. God, we hand you the pen and paper and say, write our stories. Give us hope. Give us courage to tell them, courage to remember, courage to offer hope to others. 
God, we want your story to be our story. So in your name we pray. Amen.